Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Players podcast with me, Alois McParlin, who hasn't left the house in about four weeks. On today's episode, we'll be chatting all things Bubakari Samari, Lille's maestro midfielder, who you'll be hard-pressed to find a club he hasn't been linked with. Liverpool, Wolves, Juventus, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, Real Madrid and Newcastle make up just some of the names hunting down the Frenchman. Today we are going to analyse the player in depth, looking at his strengths, weaknesses and all that has contributed to him arriving on the lips of some of Europe's top scouts. To help me through the analysis, I have GFFN's own Jeremy Smith. But first, we're going to get a bit of background on the player. So, on the 27th of February 1999 in Noisy-le-Sec, a commune of Paris, Bouba, as he's known amongst his friends and family, was born into a family with Senegalese parents and five siblings. He grew up in the 20th arrondissement of Paris and joined Paris FC when he was just six years old, when the club still played in the third tier of France. He advanced quickly as a player and joined the team he supports Paris Saint-Germain when he was 12, a year below the age group in which he was allocated. And when you read stories about Bouba, you get a sense of regret from PSG for letting him go north to Lille. One of Samari's former coaches at PSG, Francois Rodriguez, said that he had the weapons to succeed at Paris and likened him to Blaise Matuidi. He even said that he thinks he's twice the player of someone like Argentinian midfielder Leandro Paredes, who Rodriguez regrets seeing play in what could have been and maybe should have been Samari's position. However, after years at the club and not one training session with the first team, Samari was swayed by the prospect of playing under Marcel Bielsa and Luis Campos at Lille, a club who promised him the game time he never obtained in the capital. He played just over 500 minutes in the 2017-18 season when he was still 17 going on 18. And a similar pattern continued the next year with just eight league starts across those two campaigns. However, this season, under Christophe Galtier, he has been handed a lot more trust in the first team, playing 1,200 minutes and starting 15 of 28 league games. So, Jeremy, just to start... Why are we talking about Samari? What's all the fuss about? What's all the hype about Bubakari? I think, as you said, practically everyone in Europe has, has been uh, linked with him. And he's one of those players that I still maintain that um, you can't find a, a successful team, a trophy-winning team, that doesn't have someone dominating the midfield. And he's the he's the player that looks like he's capable of doing that, whether it's defensive midfield or as a box-to-box midfielder. He, if he sort of fulfills all his potential, could be the kind of player who could sort of dominate matches and, and you know, be that sort of transitional player that can one second be protecting defences and then the next minute sort of setting his team off on attacks. And, you know, if you, if you find someone of that, quality or someone of quality in that position then I think that's gold dust. People have tried to compare him to other players whenever players get brought over from abroad they try and use comparisons so that you know people can get a, a sense of what type of player he is. A player he has been compared to for years not even really by the English media as well. I found comparisons as far back as 2017 from French newspapers comparing him to 
Paul Pogba. Do you think there's any truth in that, or do you think that's just quite a, a lazy comparison? I think it's lazy. I mean, the only re- the only reason I'd say that it's it's sort of a fair comparison is that at this relatively early stage in his career, it looks like he could sort of play in any midfield position that he he puts his mind to, and I think at times that's been Pogba's sort of strength and weakness, but. To me, Pogba is a much more sort of attacking-minded uh, midfielder. Kind of really, sort of genuinely midfield is as far back as he should be going, and and you want him kind of pushing forward and and supporting the attack. Sumare may or may not be able to do that as well, but certainly in his career so far, he's shown very little attacking inclination. And for me, he's definitely sort of. You know, midfield is as high as he gets, and and he can drop back a lot further than Pogba. So I, d- I don't really think it's it's a right comparison for me. He's more, um, and again, this is the kind of player that everyone's looking to uncover after the success of of Conte at Chelsea. But um, he's for me, he's more of a sort of Conte player who can um, sit back, but also set set the team. I think um, N'Golo Conte is sort of um, underrated in terms of his ability to transition and, and push forward a little bit. I think he's like that. I think he's he at times shows the sort of explosiveness and even the dribbling ability of a, of an Ndombele. And in the way that he could dominate the midfield if he wanted to, I suppose going back a little bit further, you could see comparisons with Vieira. But yeah, I, I, Pogba, I can see why, but I do think it's a little bit lazy and a little bit short-sighted. I mean, even when you look at his performances this season or or role at the club under Galtier, it's not even the position he really plays. He's usually just one of a, a double pivot to two sentiments beside Renato Sanchez a lot of the time, who is usually the player told to to go further up the pitch. So you know that's not even the role he's he's played this season, is it? No, I mean it, <clears throat> he. You can see him sometimes sort of pushing forward, maybe to the edge of the final third. But then he's rarely, um, you know, b- before we we started recording, you, you pointed out he's had one shot this season. He's he's, he's rarely gonna have a shot. He's rarely gonna um, necessarily put through the very final pass. I think, you know, once he gets a little bit too high up the pitch, maybe he sort of gets nose nosebleeds or something, and, and leaves it to, to someone who's who's more of a known attacker. But um, yeah, he can he can dominate that sort of middle third, and he's happy to push forward with the ball or pick out a pass. But he doesn't seem particularly interested in his sort of goals or assists. That let's put it that way. Yeah, and as a player who is starting to garner a bit of a, a reputation as as a quality player in Europe, you know, someone who has been linked with the, all the teams that I said in the intro. He's an interesting case study, isn't he? Because a lot of the time when, you know, I mean, for you and me, we, we still see Lille as a big team, but your average, I don't know, uh, Liverpool fan probably sees Lille as a middle club. But anyway, when a, a player gets linked with a much bigger move or a lot more money, it's usually when they down tools and they just want to go off and, and jet off now and, and take the opportunity that's been laid in front of them. But that's not really been the case with Sumari because quite frequently over the last 12 months at least he has been linked with a lot of moves but he's always been quite stoic in his idea that he wants to stay 
at Lille and he wants to develop at Lille. He doesn't want to jump off too soon and, and move to another club where he might be playing on the bench a lot more often. What do you think about that as, as, a, as a quality in a player? You know, he's not just somebody who wants to instantly make the jump up to the next level. He, he's very much biding his time in his career. Yeah, it, it feels like his whole career is sort of on a kind of consistent progression and he's got, he and the people around him have got a, a decent sort of idea of where he wants to go and how quickly he wants to do it. I mean, if, if uh, I don't know, if someone comes in and offers Lil another 70 million like they did for Pepe last year, it's going to be pretty hard to say no. And, you know, however sort of, however keen you are to, to take it easy and, and not, not overstretch yourself, I guess if certain clubs come calling, it's difficult to say no because you don't know if they're going to come back again. But, you know, he's, you look at the last three seasons, there's been a real progression sort of, I think it's something like uh, 10, 14 appearances two seasons ago. And, and I think only a th- 14, it was, and only three of them starting. Then last season, 18 appearances, only five of them starting. And then this season, we might come back to why it's only 20, but most of them were a starts. Um, so you can definitely see that year on year, he's he's getting more chances. He's taking those chances. A team, a club like Lille have got a great, past record of bringing through these youngsters so I think he's being very sensible showing that he's not in any hurry to go anywhere um but like I said sometimes offers are too tempting both for the player and the club so it'll be interesting to see who comes in and what with this summer hmm. and, you, and you mentioned there he's still not really you know uh despite all the hype he's still not a dominant player in that Lille midfield you know he's still slightly sits behind the rankings of Benjamin Andre and Roberto Sanchez. So so why isn't he a nailed down player in this Lille midfield? Well, I, th- I think there's a couple of things. I mean, <clears throat> basically until the end of January, he pretty much was a, a certainly a regular in the team, but um, starting more often than not, um, started sort of 15 of the first, I don't know, 20, 25 games, something like that. Um, and then was sort of mysteriously dropped. And it's not entirely clear. I mean, there's, depending on whether you listen to his entourage or, or the clubs, there's different reasons. But he was very heavily linked with Wolves and particularly with uh, Newcastle in, the, in January. And there are lots of reports that Lille wanted to sell him and he didn't want to go. Lille sort of retorted by saying, well, actually, it was his people who were touting him around Europe and we got a little bit annoyed because he should be focusing on, on playing for the team he's at at the moment. Um, so there's a little bit of kind of hearsay on both sides. <clears throat> I suppose, whatever the reasons, he was dropped for the second half, for most of the second half of the season. And you could say, well, you know, if he was that good and that important to the team, it's not like, as you said, it's not like he downed tools. It's not like he had serious disciplinary problems. If he was that important, they'd have sort of forgiven him or found some way of dealing with it and kept him in the team. I think he is still a very good player with huge potential, but possibly where Lille were in January, where in theory they were still kind of somewhere mid-table, it looked like they were capable of pushing on to, to challenge the European places, but certainly like a waveform, for example, was dodgy. I think possibly they just needed stronger characters in there. And you've got... Like you said, Benjamin Andre is obviously extremely experienced. 
um, you know, had a great career when he was at Rennes, already, you know, dominating uh, at Lille as well. You've got Renato Sanchez, who, you know, three, four years ago was one of the, you know, most highly rated youngsters in Europe, went, went on the, off the, off the, not off the rails, but lost, lost his form a little bit, but certainly this season with Lille has really been coming back. So I think it's a mixture of things. I think it's the stuff going off on off the pitch and probably also Renato Sanchez's good form. I'm sure if he sort of continued his Bayern Munich or Swansea form, Simaro would still be in the first team. But it, it seems as if that whole storm, you know, with, with you know his people and the club's people battling out, it seems like he was just kind of caught in the middle of it. You know, he he's always been quite open with it. He just kind of wants to continue developing at Lille. You know, we've said that he, he knows what his development is. So it was a bit awkward for him to just kind of get caught in the middle of that situation, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, he, he is still young. He's, he's, he's 21, which the problem is, when you've got players like I don't know Sancho and Mbappe and people like that around 21 suddenly already feels quite old but it's not <laughs> and um you know he's he's learning he he does seem quite shy and unassuming um some you know people mature at, at different rates and while he's still showing a lot on the pitch and you know you look at for example his France youth records he's played every level from under 16 to under 21 so everyone has known for a long while that this is a, a talented guy who's worth keeping an eye on but to take that final step and obviously it's the biggest and hardest step to take you don't want to you don't want to rush it and um you know even within Lille there's clearly a certain element of politics a certain uh I guess certain number of egos that you need to deal with whether it's um sporting directors off the pitch or Gautier on the side of the pitch or a couple of teammates that you're vying for places with and maybe it's that that mental side that he's not quite ready to take that leap and on the other hand maybe you could say well he's showing actual maturity by saying I'm not ready to leave. What should any fan of any team be expecting of Bukhara Samari, say he goes to Juventus or, or Tottenham or Arsenal and all, all those teams, what should they be looking out for as the players' strengths and weaknesses as a more defensive-minded midfielder? You know, he's a, he's a tall, heavy player, he's six foot two, long legs. What are strengths and weaknesses? What should people be looking out for in terms of Samari? He's, I think he is a good tackler. Um, he's very comfortable on the ball. He can sort of He's technically proficient. He can dribble past players. He can pick out a good range of passes as well. So those reasons, I think there's an element of an Ndombele about him because he really can sort of, you know, pick up the ball on the edge of his own area. And whether it's with a pass or keeping the ball, he's he's able to sort of go through the phases and, and drive forward and, and attack. I like that generally he, he looks for a forward pass rather than sort of, you know, sideways or backwards. Um, so I think he's got all the skills there. And I think the, the the weaknesses are the kind of thing that, again, depending on how charitable you are about someone who's 21, are the kind of things that should come with experience. So occasional positional issues, occasional concentration issues, both of those things lead to the fact that maybe occasionally he flies in a little bit more than he should. 
Um, he's had two sendings off this year. One was for two bookings. One was a ridiculously harsh sending off against Saint-Étienne, but it's one of those ones where, you know, you could say, well, he, he made the referee, made that decision kind of thing, which I hate. I hate that um, <laughs> excuse. But it's the, you know, it, it is what a lot of people would say in that case. So he just needs to, I guess, develop his sort of match intelligence and match management. But in terms of the raw skills, there's there's loads to work with. Yeah. And and that uh, point you made about, you know, him having that mobility and ability to pick up the ball and just, just take it from a box to a box, that's a, a I guess it's a beneficiary of him being such a key part of the French youth teams coming up, you know, that what's such an amazing thing about the French youth teams that are coming up at the moment and the first team, of course, as well, is that every player that comes up could easily play in centre midfield, you know, all defenders could play DM in centre midfield. If you look at Bubakar Kamara at Marseille, there's a reason he shifts between centre defence and, and centre midfield. Same with uh, Tongi Kouassi at PSG, there's a there's a reason he can kind of shift between that, and that's uh, bled into Bubakari Samari as well. That's just a, a great trait that's kind of just kind of flooding into all French players at the moment. They're not just single minded in their type of play. They do have that attacking talent. Obviously, Samari isn't he's no Lionel Messi, but he's still he can shift his way about about the pitch. There's a reason he plays centre mid, and he's not a full back in the nineties, you know. <laughs> um, so he has played a lot in the youth teams. How close do you think he is to the senior squad at the moment? Do you think it's more a problem with him not being ready or do you think it's a problem with the first team being just too good? I just think that there's a lot of midfielders to choose from. So, um, you know, he's behind a lot of very good players and needs to be playing sort of full I know, obviously, there's certain French squad players who aren't necessarily playing full season, but they've already done what they need to do to to prove that that they are to be relied on. Samare hasn't played a, a full league a season yet, let alone go abroad and play somewhere there and, and prove himself over the course of a whole year. So I don't think he's that close yet. But again, he's shown the ability that if he carries on his progression, there's no reason why he can't be part of the squad. But you know, you've got you've got Kante and Pogba, you've got Tolisso and Ndombele if they're fit and in form. You've got Matuidi who can move to the centre if need be. There's a lot of very talented midfielders out there. So he's not yet at, at the you know the front of the queue, but certainly in, in two, three years, if if nothing goes wrong, there's no reason why he shouldn't be pushing for for a first team place. Mm. And you what you mentioned earlier about um playing in different positions, you look at the fact that he did come from PSG and and, and no one's really talking about PS, PSG's youth team because they keep selling all of them. So there's very few of them actually coming through to the first team. But you look at some of these players that are there or abouts, there or thereabouts that are coming through, and you've got Kuasi who can play in defence or midfield. You've got, I don't know, Awashish and Adli who can play in midfield or attack. They've got a lot of players who are very adaptable. And, and I think, again, Sumare is another one. So although, you know, it's three years now since he left, you've got to give PSG a little bit of credit for for developing a, a pretty complete player. 
do you think he could shift position at any time in his career? Remember, he's older, shift back to centre back and be just be a, a really good um, player and like a possession based team at centre half. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, a, a positioning, he's, he's got to develop his positional sense. He's decent in the air, but he could probably, as, as a, a centre back, he'd need to be a lot more dominant, I think. He's got the height, so it's some, certainly something he can work on. And again, he's got the footballing ability to to sort of, um, you know, begin attacks for, from deep in a sort of, I don't know, a Varane kind of way, for example, or a Saliba. So, yeah, there's definitely the, the capability to do that. But the, the player that he's developing into at the moment, I think it would sort of, um, it would be a pity if he moved immediately back to centre-back because he does have more energy, more drive. And, and I think that would be better used in, in midfield. Yeah. So with all the players he has been linked with, how many of these names do you think are just duds that the media throws up and how many do you think would be actually you know good choices for Samari? So I'll just remind you of some of the names that he's been linked with. <laughs> you know, Liverpool, if I could I could be here all day with a lot of these teams. Wolves, Juventus, uh, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, United, Madrid, Newcastle. Um, I've not heard of too many French teams being interested, but I don't know how, how I don't know if the ceiling he feels his ceilings a bit above France at the moment. I, I don't know if PSG would have any interest in re-signing him or have a clause in his contract or anything that they could have a, a buyback price or anything like that. But yeah, wh- where would you like to see Sumari go to? Do you think he could be Newcastle's big buy when they get uh, the new takeover? Uh, he could, be, I mean, yeah, I don't know how the takeover's going, but I think that that would make sense in terms of, I mean, stepping stones is sort of becoming the new project, isn't it, as that, that yeah. horrible phrase to use. But um, I do feel like, you know, Real Madrid and Liverpool and certain clubs like that are a little bit too too big, unless he's willing to go to... I mean, Real Madrid, first of all, they're clearly making a play for Pogba and Camavinga. So yeah. depending on how those two go, I'm not sure that they're going to be that interested in Simare. Liverpool, there's there's... There's an argument to be made for for the fact that that would be a good move for him if he's willing to maybe not be playing week in, week out for the next couple of years and he can sort of study under the likes of Fabinho and sort of long-term that could be, and Klopp obviously, long-term that could be good for him. But I think more, I think it's more the the sort of, with all due respect, mid-table Premier League clubs that maybe would be a good move because he can sort of, if things go well off the pitch, sort of find his feet there, settle without quite the same amount of pressure as the bigger teams. And again, another horrible phrase, but put himself in the window if he progresses and then the next move would be would be further up again. So I guess Newcastle, Leicester, I don't think Leicester fans will necessarily appreciate being put in the same boat as Newcastle. But um, I suppose, again, maybe it's me being lazy because of the Kante and then the Nampolis-Menti connection, which didn't go so well. But, you know, they, they clearly know, well, they have experience of dealing with French midfielders, let's put it that way, um, maybe with more success than Newcastle have done in recent years. But, yeah, I think a, a Newcastle, a Leicester, I think Everton have been connected. Tottenham, you sort of think, why, if Ndombele is there already, 
why go for a player who for me is relatively similar unless the rumours about Ndombele looking to leave are true. Um, but, I mean, I, for Sumare's sake, I, I will, for any young player's sake, I wouldn't go anywhere near any club managed by Mourinho. So maybe it's best to wait <laughs> until he's gone. Do you think there would be as much of a step up, though, if, if he went to a mid-table English side? You know, you'd be playing Europa League football at Lille. Um, I don't know, if you went to Leicester, maybe you would be playing Champions League football if you get into the first team. But do you think that'd be as much of a step up or is there a financial gain that do you also have to take into account here? I don't, again, I'll probably make enemies here. I don't think there's much of a step up in terms of the quality of the football. I think there's a step up in terms of, um, yeah, obviously salary, first of all, um, exposure, probably week-to-week pressure. I think there are more expectations in the Premier League in general, but arguably, in, on the other hand, you could argue maybe, obviously it depends what happens with the takeover, but maybe Newcastle, there's fewer expectations within the Premier League than there is for Lille in Ligue 1. But, you know, just the Premier League is the bigger, apparently, league, and so there's more eyes on you. There's, you know, people are less forgiving if you do make mistakes, that kind of thing. And yeah. I think what players like, I mean, this is a Spurs thing again, but players like Ndombele and Stombouli and Capu, um, when he first went to Spurs, found was that it was the the physicality. I'm trying to remember who, I read an interview, I was reading an interview last week with a, a former, it was Pires actually, I think, who, who obviously he's not that type of player, but he was talking about the fact that, you know, actually the defence, defensive football is better in France and you know that might affect the sort of entertainment levels but he says defensively and tactically they're better in France than in England but in England it's you know non-stop back and forth goal to goal and I think that's what some of these sort of supposed all-action midfielders really struggle to adapt to in England so I think it's for that kind of thing that maybe going to a mid-table club rather than ones, one of the ones at the top, it will give him a chance to kind of spend a couple of years really getting to his sort of physical peak and getting used to those kind of demands of English football. Yeah, I think if some English teams watched like like Ramps play or something like that, I think they'd throw up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was watching a thing about Pires actually a while back and I remember he was saying when he first signed, he was sitting on the bench of Arsenal and he was he was watching Tony Adams just run around and kill folk, and he was like, "My God, this is this is not the football that I've been used to." Just like people throwing themselves at each other, and it did take him time to go and and, and adapt to that. And I don't think he really really kicked on until the second season in London. And I feel with today's, you know, you can look at Nicola Pepe as a as a as a case study of it. You can have what, well, okay, I would like to foreshadow this with, he's not even had that bad of a season, but anyway, you can have one player come from another league, have a bit of a wet season because he's not used to adapting to a league and everyone thinks he's a terrible player. But history has shown so many times players go, have a fantastic second season and then, you know, the rest is history. But I feel with Sumari, if he goes and is a bit of a wet blanket for the first season, everyone's just going to go, oh, this guy's crap, this guy's crap. It's happened with so many players in the past and they just don't get that chance. And I'm scared that that might happen with Sumari. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I think it was Wenger who always said, I can't remember if it was a year or 18 months, but he always said a player coming from abroad, you need to give them that long 
to to acclimatize and um again that that's another reason why maybe the the club that he chooses will be quite important because i mean it might be silly but you know newcastle fans if he goes there and he doesn't start well they're probably going to immediately sort of start with the um tovan comparisons or cabela comparisons which aren't going to do him any favors Whereas possibly at Leicester, although Kante is one of those who sort of hit the ground running, maybe they'll have a little bit more patience there. Um, yeah, Spurs as well, they haven't necessarily always shown the right amount of patience with those central midfielders. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I think, and again, also, it's not to be, it's not just the, the football. I think often we do forget that they are, they are human beings. And, you know, he is a 21-year-old kid who, is going to be moving to another country, another culture off the pitch as well. And you need to get used to that as well. Mm. Well, that, that was the thing with Ishmael Assar. Um, I don't know if he's got a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or anything like that, but I know that he went there. He's quite a shy character. English wasn't great with English and stuff like that. And that was something that he struggled with. I think um, Sadio Mane and whatnot, whenever Liverpool play, Watford, he always tries to go and watch for him and you know and go and talk to him and stuff so he's not just sitting himself all the time. But it's a struggle that people need to get over. And I know if I got sent to well, that's the reason no English players go abroad, because they're too scared of it. You know, yeah. but whenever players come over to England or, or Scotland, I guess as well, people are just expected to adapt as soon as they come off the plane. And that's just not the case. If you went if you took me and put me in put me in Ukraine, I don't know, I'm trying to think some random country, Ukraine or something, I would have no clue what's going on. And if you take yeah. if you take a player who spent all his life, not the case with Samari, but you take a player that spent his whole life on the French Riviera sipping cocktails and having sardines and fish and you chuck him into Sunderland, what's going to happen there? It's not going to work out. Yeah. Well, you talk about his minor son. When he, when he first arrived at Mets, he was, he was not good for the first six months. And it, it turned out that his boots were too small for him and he was too shy to tell anyone. <laughs> that's, that's true, though. That, that's the kind of situations that happen that people just never read about and hear about. Um, yeah. And that, I've been watching, in, in um, quarantine, I've been watching a lot more, like, basically all the well-made football documentaries that are out. So the one on Manchester City, the one on um, Juventus, the one on Sunderland, the season two of that and stuff like that and you get to see a lot more the tiny little things that happen behind the scenes and stuff like that and and it's things like that with SAR which is hilarious sorry I've not heard that it's just stuff that you don't really see um, and can can hold back players and whatnot Um, okay just to close this off this is a conversation I've had with Thomas Wiseman when we've been on the podcast and stuff and I just want to pick your brain on it so we've said all this about Samari and you know he's linked with all these great clubs he's 21 fantastic tall beautiful love it do you think he's that good I don't think he's that good yet I think like I said I think he's got all the raw material that you need and then it's up to him sort of mentally and also in terms of the decisions the career decisions that he makes um, to to kind of fulfil his potential. I mean, I think there's a reason why all these clubs are linked with him and it's because he does have a huge amount of potential and he's been showing that, you know, people have known that he's had this potential for a long time. But like I said, the, the hardest step to take is the, the sort of the last one from from being this sort of talented youngster that everyone's expecting a lot of and, and becoming 
more than that and becoming a you know week in week out excellent professional footballer um he's been on the way there until halfway this season it looked like he was sort of well on the way to 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 kind of doing that and sort of making a statement this season and for whatever reason depending on who you believe it hasn't happened and it's sort of his season basically stopped in january um so no not (laughs) in short or not very short he's not that great yet but if he's looked after and if he looks after himself i really think he could be jeremy smith thank you very much for joining me thank you if you're looking for more information on all things French football, you can catch us on Twitter at GFFN and you can check out the website as well at getfootballnewsfrance.com where you can find more articles and all the other podcasts and doohickeys and all that jazz uh, regarding French football. I've been Lewis McParland. We've been talking about Bubakari Samari, uh, next player to jet off to somewhere richer and more beautiful than France. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you in the next one. Stay safe.